Hello, hello. Welcome back to another episode of the Have You Seen podcast. I am your host, Mike Bibbins, on Twitter at Bibbs Corner. And currently, the, the, the other Twitter is Bibbs Film. I may be changing that to Have You Seen soon. We, we will see. <laughs> uh, bear with me on that. But today, I'm here uh, to do a quick review of the, the new hot movie that that could be a a best picture contender the whale starring brendan fraser sadie sink uh, brendan fraser of the mummy franchise sadie sink of stranger things ty simpkins of the insidious franchise uh, iron man 3 jurassic world uh, hong chow of the menu and watchmen directed by darren aronofsky from requiem from a dream or for a dream Black Swan, written by Samuel D. Hunter, who wrote Baskets. He did the did it as a play initially. He also did the adaptation for the screenplay. Uh, this is a movie that I had to wait for, for a while to see. And then when it came to my area, it did not come to one of the theaters I usually go to. I had to go all the way across the city to catch this movie. But personally, I'm glad I did. Now, of course, my goal with any review is to try to get a guest on to talk about the movie with me, and I have been successful in doing so. I uh, actually wasn't planning to do a review for this movie, but uh, I I put out a call to all my friends, everybody that knows me, anybody on Twitter that follows me, that if you have a movie you want to review, let me know. I'm open to any and all invites. I will make it happen because the, the best the best movie reviews, in my opinion, are conversations. And if you can get people with differing opinions, that's different backgrounds. Maybe they had a different experience. That's even better. So today I'm pleased to be joined by my good friend, Evelyn. Who is a, a uh, let me not downplay an international baccalaureate english teacher in texas uh several time master teacher at english so so she's very well versed in the literary stuff i mean i technically am i just uh, you know when you don't use it you lose it type thing so uh she probably will bring a little bit more depth than i usually do uh so we'll see how that goes but evelyn welcome to the podcast how you feeling today Hello, thank you. Um, I'm excited. Um, I think we've talked for a while about um, coming onto the podcast and talking about a a movie. I know sometimes we'll go off, uh, sometimes even arguing about some of these films, and so it's like, all right, let's let's press record and, and do this. So I'm excited, and I appreciate the the opportunity. Yeah, uh, I feel like we've wasted many great conversations um, into the ether, but, you know, uh, hopefully, hopefully this is one of those. And uh, it's definitely a very interesting movie. I'm, I'm excited to get into it. But before we do, since this is most people's first time hearing you, hearing your voice, I want to get an idea about your, and personally, this is interesting to me because I, I honestly don't know the answer to this, this question. Like, what is your movie diet your movie palette like what what are you into if you could give me either like your top five movies or just a idea of the type of movies that that get you going if you will well I'll say that I used to 
and I'm talking about back in the day when Redbox was a thing. I don't, I don't think it's a thing anymore, right? It's not. No, it's still a thing. I, I went by Walgreens the other day and saw people getting getting some movies out of there. So, yeah. Well, when Redbox was the thing, I would go and I remember renting uh, The Strangers, and so um, I've always loved that particular genre, anything that has to do with uh, horror, um, any scary film. It can be a horrible scary film. I'm going to see it. Like I will sit down and watch like uh, Jigsaw, you know, through Saw 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5 for like six, seven hours at the theater when they used to offer that back in the day. Um, and I would show up with like my t-shirt, you know, with my Jigsaw quotes and so I've always been into um, the horror genre. That's always been my um, kind of like my, um, what would interest me. But I will say that as of late, I have really been um, into these A24 production movies. Like I just absolutely, um, I just, I think my first time and maybe this is a terrible, movie to start my adventure of A24 with but was Midsummer. I think that was like three years ago like that was that first movie wow. that I saw that I knew it was a A24 you know what I'm saying like I saw it and I was like oh okay like this is a right um and so Midsummer was was it so after watching Midsummer, I feel like that has shifted a bit uh, the movies that I like now, if you tell me it's A24 productions or they have in some way uh, been a part of the making of the film or I'm, I'm going to watch it, I'm going to give it a shot and I'm probably going to like it. Um, so that's kind of where I'm at right now with, with films. I'm looking really, especially considering with um, the political climate, the social climate, uh, post-COVID world. Um, I mean, just considering everything that is going on, I think I'm not well all the time, but something that will entertain me, but at the same time, allow me to to learn, to grow, um, and to walk away uh, in some way, understanding myself and, and the world around me in a better way. And I think I can do that um, with those films. And so it, it doesn't have to be 24. Just, I mean, I heard your, your podcast uh, episode uh, on Severance. I, hey, that show for me did it, you know, just being able to walk away and understanding and learning more about um, just even like my, my work-life balance and, you know, like the harmful effects of that. So honestly, just anything right now that is going to make me think um, that doesn't look like TikTok, I'm going to, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to watch it. I'm going to, uh, yeah, I'm going to enjoy it. So doesn't look like that. It's just like, you know, as long as it's not like a TikTok looking Okay. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I'm looking for something more, more uh, for the depth. You're looking for the, yeah. the, the human condition, the analysis. Mm -hmm. of the okay. All right. So then this movie should be right, right, right up your alley is what I'm guessing. Um, the first thing I'll do a quick synopsis of the whale, uh, a reclusive English teacher attempts to reconnect with his estranged teenage daughter. And now you did tell me you missed the first five minutes and it's funny, or you might've said Mr. First 10. It's funny because like, <laughs> as the movie opens, the first thing you hear is he's doing a zoom class and like, he's talking about going over the essays that the students have been turning in and stuff. And like, my first thought was, I know she's loving, I know she loved this part. Like, 
I know she related to this because, you know, you're an English teacher and like trying to get through to the kids on why they need to edit this, that and the third. I'm sure it would have hit home, but you missed that. So I want to know before I get into this, um, what was the first thing that you actually saw when you got (laughs) into the theater? I, I can't remember anymore because I <laughs> read and um, you I read what you sent me happened in the beginning. So I feel like I saw it. Um, but I didn't see that, that you're what you're explaining, like him being on the Zoom call with the students. I've heard about like there was like a scene that kind of established um, his sexual preferences. Yeah. Um, Charlie's uh, sexual. Pre- I didn't see that either. Um I'm, I'm, I'll probably say that I got to the part where like he was offering his daughter money to spend time with him. His daughter was already in the house by the time you got there. Yes. Uh huh. So yeah, that's about maybe a good 15. Yeah. You missed a lot. (laughs) You missed a lot. Yeah. Yeah. But even (laughs) with that, you still managed to apparently enjoy this film. So let's talk about it before, uh, uh, first thing I'll ask you, because I mentioned that I had to go out of my way to watch this. Like, did you have to go out of your way to watch it or was it local for you or? I, I had to drive about maybe an hour and 20 minutes to see the <laughs> film. Yes. Um, and actually, um, most of the movies that have come out, um, they like the better films, you're not going to find them in my area. Y- you got to drive. And so that's what I did. I drove about an hour and 20 minutes to just film. Um, I actually did not watch the previews before watching it. I didn't so know. I didn't see no trailers. I didn't, I didn't know what I was watching. I just know that, hey, you know, um, this movie's out. I knew it wasn't. It's terrible to say, but it's almost like if the movie is not local, you got to go see it. Like, that's kind of what I'm getting here. So okay. uh, I haven't been wrong, you know, yet with a film that isn't local, you know, that I've had to go see. And it turned out to be uh, terrible, like. So with that said, it sounds like you didn't have any expectations or anything as far as the movie goes. You just knew you wanted to see it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Absolutely. I wanted to see Brendan Fraser. Uh, my favorite movie of all time is Encino Man. So very, very, I know. I love Encino Man. Like, I just, yeah, so I love it. It's a while ago when I asked you, you know what? I'm going to let it go. I'm going to let it go. I love Encino Man, Step Brothers. Yeah. There, there we go. Now we're, we're getting somewhere. <laughs> Um, what was I going to say? Uh, for me, I like, you know, I, I, every, anybody who's listened to this podcast before knows I do not watch trailers at all. Uh, I did. The only thing I knew about this movie, what, like you said, I knew Brendan Fraser was in it. I knew Sadie Sink was in it. And I'm always interested in young actors seeing what movies they end up choosing. Like if I met them as a child, like seeing how they grow up. Ty Simpkins, I still remember the first Insidious movie. So it's been cool to watch him grow up. I remember him in Iron Man 3. I remember him in Jurassic World. Like, it feels like he was eight, two weeks ago, and now he's a grown man, which is weird. But anyway, I like watching what type of movies these kids pick as they get older. And then uh, I saw a clip of the premiere and Brendan Fraser getting like a 15-minute standing ovation and like getting emotional, like... And he's a guy. You know what's interesting? Sorry to interrupt you. I saw the same one. And I I, I think that's like, that's kind of what was like, okay, I got to go see this. 
Yeah. So initially it was like, you know, are they overblowing it because they want to, you know, because it's his return. But then I was like, you know what? All this award type, like all the like award nominations kept coming out, kept coming out, kept coming out. And I was like, okay, I got to see it. Like I got whatever it takes. I got to see it. Like I was willing to go to Charlotte if I had to go to Charlotte. That's like an hour and a half drive for me. Like I was ready to do that if that's what it came down to. And usually when I have that type of anticipation for a movie, I'm terrified that it's not going to live up to those expectations. Because I hate expectations. Expectations are the thief of joy, as they say. (laughs) I will say that this movie lived up to all the hype. Would you agree? I actually will disagree. I'm thinking as I'm talking um, that there, there's, there's even any hype, I mean, or at least positive. Positive. I've seen so much negativity surrounding this film, and I think really, yes, it's it. I, and I mean, I guess we what, what negativity have you seen? Because I, I haven't seen it. Well, I've seen like mostly there were like conversations surrounding the the whole like one thing that i know happens when i tell somebody to go watch this film is they'll ask did he gain all that weight for that film and i mean who cares is kind of what my first thought is like what but when you see the movie poster and you see him on on the movie poster and you think like oh wow like he's it's like what are you doing like why is that what you're interested in like what did you think the elephant man looked like that? Like the person who played that, you know what I'm saying? Like, did you watch freak show and, and think, you know, that, I mean, I mean, most of them really did, but. Well, I mean, I'm thinking like, um, there's, I mean, even like, I mean, just any film, like, obviously like people, yes, they have to, I don't know what I don't know what they thought. Like I'm, this I'm isn't me, Kim I'm Kardashian me. trying to lose weight, put on a dress. Like this is Yeah. You know, like he put on a suit. And then you get that answer that he was wearing a uh, you know, a suit, and then people are upset. You know, so they wanted him to get morbidly obese, like get him not getting morbidly obese is a problem for people, is what you've seen. I think it's just a good bait for conversation, to be honest, like to give people something to be mad about or argue about that puts them in a position or a place where they feel like they have an opinion about something that humanly means is it people like that already don't want to watch the movie, basically type of things. It you? feels it feels like it. It okay. feels like it. I can get that because like I know, you know, you try to get somebody to watch something and they're looking for an excuse not to. Um, and it doesn't matter if the excuse actually makes sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, I came across this like thread on Reddit. It had like I kid you not, like over six thousand comments on the fact that like it was just this whole conversation about like why didn't you get an actual uh, morbidly obese person to play the role, and did you inquire with these people, you know, to um, <laughs> you know kind of get you know their input on what it's like, you know, to have these mobility issues that are depicted in the film and yeah it was just (laughs) look i know we're both millennials right and gen z is very different did you i sent you a i sent you a video of a comedian earlier who was like i'm a teacher of gen z students and like they will respect your pronouns but they will not respect you as a human being 
basically. And I think that kind of lines up Gen Z very, like, nails it. Like, mm-hmm. they're all about the politically correct type stuff that you're not, you know, you're not acknowledging my this or my that, but at the same time will be the meanest people on the planet. Basically. It, it makes no sense. Um, that is pretty dumb. I'm going to say, like, I understand, like, if you're casting, if you're changing the 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 gender or race of a character because you don't think you can sell it with, you know, a black actor or uh, you are putting a, a, a able-bodied person in a wheelchair who instead of inquiring for like a wheelchair user, like I think there was a movie, I wish I knew the name of it off the top of my head. There was a movie recently, it was a horror movie about a girl in a wheelchair and they actually did get a girl in a wheelchair to play the role. And she had a lot of stunts, which I was very impressed by. And that's great. But like trying to say that, you know, this movie is wrong for not getting a morbidly obese person for the role is incredible. Mm-hmm. I was not surprised. Can't be surprised, but good Lord. All right. Anything else that you you found that you came across negative? Because I really, I legitimately have not seen any negative comments. Really? Like, and I, maybe it's the circles I'm in. I, I Probably. Like my main source for conversation is my Twitter, my basketball Twitter. So there's not a ton mm-hmm. of movie stuff in there. I don't listen to reviews until after I've done my own. So I've avoided like a couple podcasts I listen to have done reviews. I have not listened to those. And then on my movie Twitter account, it's all critics who are analyzing the depths of the film and blah, blah, blah. And I'm seeing award announcements here and there. I haven't seen any negative comments. I didn't read any reviews or anything like that either. So I want to say that I've, I've seen them on Fandango and on Rotten Tomatoes. The negative reviews? Yes. Are any like of- people are uncomfortable. It's, that's what it seems like. And you'll see that, you know, it's regular fans mostly, um, or yeah. regular viewers, um, right. that they they are uncomfortable. Um there's they, a lot to be uncomfortable by. <laughs> right. And that they feel like this is, you know, disgusting and this makes me uncomfortable and I don't empathize with this person. And mm-hmm. you know, just things like that that and I almost wish I would even have some of the responses. I'm looking, um, I just pulled it up now. I see one from the Daily Beast. Rather than creating authentic empathy from the audience, the film is more interested in making a spectacle of Charlie's suffering and his body. There you go. That's terrible. I don't agree. Right. I no. don't agree. I, I feel like, look, let's get into it. I feel like well, the strength of the movie is its in, in authenticity. Uh, okay. There's a lot going on here. Mm-hmm. There's a lot thematically that's deep. There's a lot of little pockets of things. You got obesity, you have homosexuality, you have religion, uh, you have, you know, an estranged father or deadbeat father, if you will. Uh, you have an alcoholic mother in this movie. Um you know, there's a lot of different things that like maybe you get one or two of those things in most movies. It is a lot, but I can't look at this movie and say it's unrealistic in any of those aspects. It's not unrealistic to have a man who's homosexual get married to a woman and have a child. Like I, mm-hmm. I know I can name two 
off the top of my head, the black guy from uh, Queer Eye for the straight guy has a son. <laughs> um, he was married. He talks about his ex-wife often. Um, there is a transgender comedian I listen to, has children, and is in the men now. Like, this is not yeah, uncommon. Right, right, right. But if you're not, so myself, I immerse myself in the diversity of the world. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But I can see where a regular person who does not, who is in their circles and stays in their circles, will see this and be, this is way too much. Can right. you, are, is, where do you land on that spectrum? I think, um, I think it's important to, I think the fact that people are uncomfortable with it says a lot about the need for a lot of the topics that were covered in the film. Like I'm thinking the biggest one for me personally, not necessarily, you know, what another person might think, but for me, the whole religious critique, like, wait, can we talk spoilers or? Yes, okay. Um, so Alan, like that religious guilt led him to suicide. And I think, this is a conversation that needs to be had. Like, goodness, I'm thinking of Midnight Mass. Like that religious critique in Midnight Mass is that's literally what I was thinking about. And and I mean, I I've grown up since I was you know, I mean, since I was young. I mean, when I was little, I've grown up in a Christian home. Right. And I mean, just the moment that Thomas got the 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 Bible and he opened um and and was looking at that specific verse like before he even said anything i saw the verse and i was like oh oh i know exactly where he's going with this <laughs> he's gonna blame him right either he's gonna blame the situation and 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 basically offer you know like hey you know what if you would have done the right thing if you were not a homosexual if you would have been you know freed of you know, that particular sin, you would have been saved. And this is why I'm here to help you and X, Y, Z. And it's like, I knew you were going to do that before you even did that. I knew it. And so I'm thinking as a person who um, has that religious upbringing, it bothered me to see it that way. But at the same time, like that particular verse be used that way. But at the same time, I also think Carly had this awareness of religion Mm -hmm. way beyond what Thomas probably even understood or comprehended right. himself. And I think that awareness of religion is a big reason why in the end for him, he made the choices that he made. You know, yeah. it's almost like, you know, too much that people can say like, well, he should have done this for himself. Oh, and what about, you know, why wasn't he more helpful to himself? Why didn't he do something different? You cannot, you force somebody to be hopeful in something that they are very aware of. Right. He cannot be hopeful and believe in this being, this presence, this entity that he's very well aware of. And right. the very thing that actually caused him to lose a lot of his life. I was going to say, I want to say, were they, I didn't, I wasn't sure if I picked this up or not. Was he part of the church too? I don't. I feel like remember they were, that. I feel like they were on the mission together. Like that's where they met was or during the mission. Ooh, I don't remember that. was the, that. the vibe that I got from it. Cause I believe he had a, Alan had a, a wife or a woman he was supposed to be getting married to before. Mm -hmm. But I want to say when his sister's telling the story, she says that he met this person on his mission and was going to come back and marry them or something like that. Right. 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 Um, so 
regardless, we are made aware of, of his knowledge of the Bible. Mm-hmm. And so yeah, like, yeah, yeah. nothing this child is going to say to him to, that he doesn't already know. Mm-hmm. Right. But then you also have that other angle of Thomas and his internal conflict. Right. And the things that are, um, you know, keeping him. I mean, that and it's there are so many like layers, little, yeah, so many layers, so many subplots, so many different angles. Like anybody that sits there and watch that, watches that film, like you can walk away with something, whether it be the religious aspect of it, whether it be the homosexual aspect of it, whether it's that father um, daughter relationship, whether it's that, um, you know, relationship as a mother with your teen daughter, I'm sorry, but there's a lot of women out there that, uh, that can, that, that resonates. Yeah. Also teenagers, the way that they use social media and their phones, you know, to harm others, because Ellie, even though the father thought that she did the right thing in trying to help him, quote unquote, and no, you recorded his confession, you used your phone. And so I feel like that's like, there are very uh, archaic um, thematic um you know pieces but there's also very new ones in the sense that how are our teenagers using social media you know how 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 are they using drugs Mm. makes sense and so i think that's a big one um and then also i love that that component of him being an english teacher and he could have been any teacher but that whole being on camera and or being off camera because you don't want to be judged like like my goodness you are the teacher you are the one here providing that knowledge and that education to these group of people. And yet he understands. And as viewers, we are made to, to, to realize that our generation right now, they don't care. They don't care that there's another person behind the screen. And I'm telling you, like spending almost two years behind the screen, you know, it, yes, they did not care, you know, that I was on the other side. And you can even see, I don't know if you recall, when he actually at the end comes on camera and kind of like comes clean and starts reading their candid responses, you can see that one of them even like picks up her phone to take a photo. And I think there's, right. And I thought to myself, that is very accurate. Mm-hmm. There's no empathy in them. Sneaky, but like, cause you could like barely see it at the bottom of the screen and they like tried not to move. That was very authentic. Right. That, that's what they do. And I, I'm, I mean, I'm telling you as an English teacher who has sat there almost two years, you know, <laughs> giving class, that is what they do. You can sit there and pour your heart and soul and they're going to turn around and quote you, laugh at you, make a TikTok about you and post you. And I think that's, <laughs> that there's a layer of that that teachers, if a teacher saw this film, I'm sure they felt the way that, you know, I did. And so I feel then, you know, another component, which I think is the biggest one, I think a lot of people are missing the point when it comes to like his obesity. Yes, he's obese. Yes, his self-worth, the effects of all of these things that, you know, we have mentioned. But I think physically, it looked like obesity. Mm-hmm. But I think metaphorically, he is every single one of us. We all have something that we indulge in, indulge in, excuse me, that we have maybe no control over. Something that seems so simple, like him, it's eating. For us, it can look like something. I mean, again, it just depends who you are. But whatever in your life is, whatever, whatever in your life is, is controlling you and you're attaching to that because you're struggling with, you know, something wrong that you did a long time ago, or you're struggling with your confidence or you're struggling. It just, it's all of us. Charlie is all of us. And for him, it, it looks like a physical mobility issue. 
for us, it looks like not being able to be productive. It looks like us not being able to turn around the next day and do something different about our situation. It can be a year, two years, he's eating, he's gotten himself to this point where he cannot recover and he cannot even get help even when there is help. That's me, that's you, that's a lot of people, except we're not eating and we're not obese in that fashion. Right. It's more metaphorical, right? What are we t- doing too much of that is destroying us and we're not even aware of? And so I thought that part in particular was for me the most beautiful, but also I realized that a lot of people were probably not gonna walk away understanding that we have a lot. Just because I am not you know, overweight or morbidly obese does not mean that One, I cannot empathize with him or two, that I do not understand what it's like to take too much of something, knowing that it's destroying you and doing nothing about it. Does that make sense? um, I think, you know, while I was watching him, there's a scene where he's in the kitchen and I think he pulled open one drawer and there was like a neutral grain bar or something in there. And he looks at it and then he's like, F that. And he opens the other drawer and like grabs the stickers or whatever (laughs) way or something. (laughs) He's like a drawer. I hate that you're laughing. I mean, you. I have to. I have to bring levity to the situation. I can't be weighty with every. Pun intended. Uh, I can't be weighty about everything. But, but he like grabs it, eats it. I'm like, yeah, yeah. That's he. Like, I was like, is this gonna be one of those movies where he turns his life around and starts trying to lose weight or something? And no, it's he's at the. He's too late. It's too late for that. He -hmm. has to reconcile his life and his choices. Uh, I liked, so let's get, let's talk about the, the kid. Uh, what was his name? You said his name a couple of times. Thomas. Thomas. So Thomas, uh, you know, he comes in, we think he's a door to door Christian conversion type character. We learn later that he actually, he was from another church, but that's not why he was there. And uh, he's actually, when I think about the movie now, he's actually the first character we see on screen. Um, at the beginning of the movie, we see him getting off a bus. Do they see why he's there? Like how he showed up or why? No, that- all, all you see is a bus pulling up into this small town and a kid getting off. Okay. So that might be a loose end for me. Like as far as like, how did Thomas get to that home? Like how did he explained it in the movie? What did he say? Or how did he get to his house in particular? Uh-huh. I think he was just going door to door. Like he ended okay, up okay. his train or his bus ticket or however much money he, he ran out of in this town and decided to try to go door to door here to try to convert souls or what have you. We mm-hmm. learn and I like his character. Like I, I wanted to be annoyed by him so much. <laughs> but when it's revealed what his true story is, it added another layer to him. And just like Charlie, he goes through this whole ordeal. But at the end, he's still himself. He's still the same kid he was when he arrived at that place. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. he comes, he keeps showing up. He thinks, you know, God sent me here for a reason to convert you. He he goes through different stages. He meets Ellie. He, he has those conversations. He reveals himself. He smokes weed. Uh, and then he comes back and he thinks, I, this is it, Eureka. I got it. I'm going to save your soul still. And when he doesn't save his soul, when uh, he, he still tells the girl, you know, my parents contacted me and they told me it's just money. Come home. Like, did he accomplish his mission in converting Charlie? No. Did Charlie not being able to be converted shake his faith? Absolutely not. And in the end, he was a lost kid who just wanted 
to to know it was okay what he did because mm-hmm. when he gets there you know he's hopeless he's thinking i have to f- have a purpose in life i think my purpose in life is to convert this person save his soul and even though he doesn't get that he's still happy at the end of the mm-hmm. movie because he's being told he can come home and he was right. out of other things and maybe he was there maybe that was his reason if you if you want if he goes back and reconciles and maybe that was the reason he was meant to meet ellie he was meant to have ellie try to blast him on social media he was mm-hmm. meant to have his parents contact him and tell him to come home right at the time he's running out of money um what and again this i don't know how you care or feel to interpret any purpose or reason or meaning behind it um that's worked for him it was enough for him yeah, well, I'll tell you, I'm thinking, uh, I don't know if I'm thinking too deeply about this, but um, Thomas was one of those um, characters, and I call them, you know, I'm thinking, you know, when we read a book, you know, I tell the students, you know, the plot can be great, but if you don't have a way to connect with the characters, then, you know, we're, you have to care about the character. Okay. Um, that sometimes is not always the case for all students, especially, like, students are, like, real into, like, science fiction and they'll care about the plot, you know, versus right. a character. But like, I'm thinking in my head, like, um, I don't know if you've read or seen Death of a Salesman. Um, it's been a very long time. <laughs> well, Death of a Salesman, um, the main uh, character, Willie Loman. Right. I love him because he is so flawed. He literally, yeah. like, if, he reminds me of many people, me included. And I, and I love the way that Thomas reminds me of so many people out there because I think the religious critique is, is, is heavy. You know, you can see it, but I also think it's layered. I, I think Thomas is a representative of those people that we encounter that are flawed, that make mistakes, that don't know it all, but they genuinely are hopeful that they're going to make a difference that they're going to make an impact, that they have a purpose and they will fail. And maybe their intentions to begin with are not wholesome. And maybe they're there for a different, you know, reason with ulterior motives or whatever the case may be. Thomas represents people that exist, that one, are religious. They do believe firmly in what they believe in. They're not perfect. I mean, I felt he, Ellie humiliated him multiple times. Not just Ellie, but even like Liz. You know, she was mad that that, she, that he yeah, was, she was. I was surprised he kept coming back with the way Liz was treating him. Exactly. I was able to empathize with him in the end. I felt sorry for him, and I was happy for him in the end. And I felt that, considering who he was and how he was, and considering all the traits that he demonstrated, it was important that we walk away seeing Thomas as, even though you've accomplished nothing, I can walk away and feel like you know what, like, you're still a person. You were still worthy of going back home, even if you made that mistake. And you still did something beautiful for Charlie. And you still did something beautiful for Ellie. And you still stood by your truth, as flawed as your truth is, as maybe, um, you know, because sometimes for him in his mind, it was black and white, but it, it, it wasn't black and white. There's a lot of gray area that he didn't understand with Charlie and Alan, but it's just his perseverance. Like, you know, it's that, I mean, they talk about Moby Dick. That, that's, ex- that's, there you go. That's exactly what Moby Dick is about. And I feel like, yes, we can look at Charlie and the way that he persevered and the way that he endured. It's all in Thomas. Makes sense. And so that's kind of what, what comes to mind when I think uh, of his character. 
is Thomas the uh, the captain in the, in this scenario? <laughs> I know. I know. In college, reading Moby Dick, like they always made it seem like we were all the captains and we mm. all had our Moby Dick, you know, and it was all about the journey and whatnot. So, I, yeah, it could be possible. Well be Thomas. Yeah, I think. I'm trying to think of times where I got emotional. I, I might have gotten emotional when Thomas came in and said, you know, I'm going home. Like, okay. cause I was, I was, I was annoyed by him early on. I was like, this kid needs to let it go. Like you're not going to wait here. Um, I, I, but then I was started feeling sorry for him cause people were being mean to him and he seemed like so genuinely nice. And I, I, I was Charlie in this situation. Like I could see that Charlie, saw i mean he's a teacher he's an educator so he's gonna you know try to take care of the kid in the end of the day and i again i did applaud the kid's perseverance as well but when you find out his story it's like ah okay he is a writer he is a he is a human like you said he made he made a mistake and he feels like he can't go home and that's sad and so then when you find out he can go home i was like yes like this is great like i know he's not going to win this thing but the fact that I know he gets to go home, that makes me excited for him as a character. Mm-hmm. Um, let's talk now, about... Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Before you you move on to the next part, I was uh, looking online. I was I was kind of wondering like how many people like Thomas exist, right? Like how many missionaries do we have? And I'm looking yes. here. We have like 5.5 million Christian missionaries that are serving. And I feel like, I don't know in your area what it's like, but in mine... In mind, there's a there's a big need um, for one seeing these people for the humans that they are, and two treating them with uh, respect. Okay. And I don't know if that was their intention or their aim, but for me personally, um, it allowed me to see people like Thomas that I'm going to see, you know, um, you know, down down the road uh, a weekend from now. Bikes. Right, right, right. It allowed me to, Thomas's character allowed me to, it allows me to see another missionary, you know, down the block a week or two from now. And you know what I'm saying? And be able to think like, you know, hey, it's the the preconceived notions you have about those types of people. Right. Okay. That's fair. And I think that's a job well done. Um, If you're able to move people that way, then you did good. Yeah. And I think, um, again, that's one of the things that makes this movie great is that these characters, these people are so very different and they, they get you to understand them to one degree or another, regardless. Um, I think I want to talk about Liz. Is it Liz? The friend? Yes. Liz played by Hong Chow. So she's in a tough position. She's in the medical field and she has been pretty much enabling her friend's obesity because she feels like she has to probably. And, but now that it's gotten to the point that it has, she's caught in between, do I fight for my friend or do I respect my friend's wishes? Even when I know they're self-destructive at this point. Oh, I I was upset initially watching a movie that I hadn't seen her name as much with a war consideration. But then I went back and looked and she actually is getting some. And I'm real glad to see that because her role, I think, might have been the most difficult to pull off. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, how do you feel about her character? Um, I wasn't. I wasn't as intrigued as I was maybe with other characters. Um, what I did think about her was um, how she was kind of going through the same thing that she went with, um, like everything she went through with her um, brother. brother, Alan, she's kind of going through the same thing with uh, Charlie. Right. And it kind of makes me wonder like, one, why did she put herself through that? Two, um, it, it makes me question myself as far as like, you know, what, what's, what is it with her? Makes sense. Um, is she, does she, I mean, I know there's some guilt, you know, and for her, but you know, at what point, like we understand why Charlie does what he does and why he is unable or unwilling to that point, but I don't, right. But I, I don't understand hers. And I think, okay. and maybe I didn't think about it too much. I um, think. I, I think what happened is I related to her character heavily. Okay. Uh, she's ends up being, I don't want to say the watcher, but she's the person that's there for these people who are struggling. And okay. she maybe doesn't have all the answers as far as how to help them, but she can try to be there with them and for them. Um, you know, she can offer comfort. She can offer support, but same time she has her life too uh there's a scene in the movie where it comes out that charlie has been hoarding money and mm-hmm. liz brings up you know like i was walking in the did she say the snow yeah she says like my car broke down i was walking in the snow and he was like i offered to like help you get it fixed and she was like yeah but i thought you were broke like i'm not going to take anything from you but if I knew you were sitting on a hundred thousand dollars, then man, now we're we're having a different conversation. So in that moment, she's thinking, "I've made all these sacrifices for you." Now, when she's making those sacrifices, she's not keeping a tally, but she struggled with this, and now she's about to lose her friend. And you should be like, "I've done this, 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 and this. I've been through this, 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 and this. You know, I watched my brother die. Now you're making me watch you die." And the little thing, the one thing you could have done to make my life easier, you hid from me. Like, like what, right. am, what are we even doing here? Like, why am I wrong for having spent all this time trying to cater to your needs? Right. She, and she's thinking like, you know, we could have had all kinds of equipment, this, that, and the third. Like, Almost like if she feels she's being punished for, right. you know, in her eyes doing the right thing. And I, and I think, and now that you mention it, I may, it might be for her, like, you know, I sat here and I, you know, kind of enabled you and tried to help you as much as I could, but that didn't require for you to drag me, right. you know, through what you're trying to do or how you're trying to justify your existence. And right. I think you that's probably her. Is what she right. said. I cared more about you than you did. Mm-hmm. And, and that's um, one of my big things is it's hard to care more about someone than they care about themselves. Right. Very hard. And so now we watched her do this with two people who are on their way out. Like, I worry for her after this. Like, where does she go after this? Right. What happens after the fact? Um, how did you feel about that moment, though? Like, when she's, when she's explaining all these things and she's, she's going through, like, you know, we could have had this kind of equipment. We could have had this, that, and the third. And you pretended you were broke. And he, he kind of, I, I don't want to say he gaslit her, but he kind of told her, like, he was like, it's not like I go anywhere. 
uh, like you should have knew I had money. Right. I, that was wrong, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah, definitely. He did it in a kind of soft way, but like I really, really, really empathize with her character. Yeah, I do feel for her. I do. I do feel for her. Now, my I'm kind of biased because I really like Charlie and his character. And so I feel like her character um, serves like a almost like a like a mirror. Makes sense. Like I have to Charlie has to see the reality of who he is, his character um, and his own flaws in her character. And as a as a viewer, I have to accept that. You know, it wasn't heroic. He hurt somebody else in the process in trying to do what she did. And I think for me, it's like I'm choosing not to see okay. Charlie in that way, only because I'm like, <laughs> you know, like he I'm just with him, his predicament. Right, right. Like I love what he did, and I just don't want to. I love what he did and why he did it, and I just don't want to sit here and say that with the money he was wrong. Are you referring to the money? I'm referring to like just putting her through all of that. Like he was not thinking about her at all. He was thinking about himself. And if you were so troubled about what Alan did, um, you should have known that she suffered through that. She tried to help them. They both of them did. And he ended up the way that he did because he sat there and tried to save Alan. So you know you're 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 really with the consequences of that. And you know what it's like to sit there and feel like I could not help him, I could not save him. And you're putting this woman through the same thing not once, but now twice. And that for me, that that makes extremely flawed. And, and you don't want to not perfect. <laughs> I thought that I want to accept that he's flawed. It's just, you know, like when, you know, let's say like we were reading like, you know, streetcar named desire and you know, we're talking about, you know, I don't know, Stanley and like, hey, you can like Stanley, but he's very flawed, you know? And so it's just like any character, like you can sit there and say something bad about Hamlet and I'm just going to refuse. Like, no, <laughs> you know, like I don't want to say anything bad about, you know, these characters. Like okay. I remember when when people were talking about Tila Mockingbird, I love Atticus and people were coming back and talking about how like in this in book, you know, was attending like these cakes meetings and you know gatherings and he wasn't like that heroic you know um protagonist that we all painted him to be and I just was like I refuse and I feel like that's what I'm (laughs) doing with Charlie like I just refuse to see him for who he is and 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 I mean and that's something I guess that we can talk about like what what did he do that we can sit there and 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 admire and and learn from but then also like what are the, the the parts of him and traits of him that you know um, hurt other people for example like like liz okay we, we, we can get into that and uh we'll, we'll do that in just a moment after these messages all right so we were briefly interrupted and by briefly i mean like 14 hours or so but we're gonna pick up where we left off so the last thing <clears throat> that i wanted to talk about or the last things i wanted to talk about first of all we haven't talked much about the relationship between brendan fraser's character charlie and his daughter ellie um played by sadie sink so where it's we're to understand when the movie begins that they he hasn't seen her since she was eight and she's 17 now and he's invited her over behind the mother's back to try to get to know her in what is expected to be his last week of life, basically. Um, she's a rebellious teen. You could kind of tell she's smart, I think. 
but doesn't necessarily apply herself, kind of is moving through the world like nothing matters, but also acknowledging that it matters <laughs> like kids do. Um, how do you feel about the Ellie character as, as a person who t- teaches kids that are in that age group? Um, I personally was very, I think her character gave me a lot of the moments that really like um, made me uncomfortable, like her wanting him to um, get up, right? So taunting him in, in that way, having him stand up without using the walker and, and walk towards her. Mm-hmm. And then her kind of just watching him with this pity and this disgust Um I think she was a part of most of those scenes that, oh man, like they really, I, yeah, they made me very uncomfortable. Did you think it was realistic for her to act like that? That's a great question. (laughs) I felt like it was a little bit somewhat, I wanted to call it over the top, but then again, we, we talked about it earlier, how this new generation of kids, they do not care about you. Right. I'm, I want to say, I'll I'll let you think, (laughs) I'll say the last piece I wanted to say is I feel like it came from a place of caring with her father at that point, at least a little bit. Like she says, you know, I don't care about you, but she, I think she did care. Like she, I think she was hopeful that he could and was just refusing to. Right. I felt like she resented him for the way that he was, not because she was necessarily disgusted with you know, um, what he looked like, you know, and, and his, and his behaviors, I think for her, it was more of like, not only did you abandon us and leave us for another man, but now here you are trying to connect with me and you're not doing the very thing that you should have done a long time ago. And that was be present and step up and not abandon us. And so I feel like she, it's almost she's internalized early on that he will basically abandon them again. And I think she was demonstrating that resentment um, in her um, in the way she was with him. Like she was so harsh um, the way she would talk to him. And um, I love the way he kind of continued to, to try um, and put in that effort and connect with her. And, um, and then he like, my one of the things I remember is that he insisted that she was good despite how she acted. And I think that's important because when Charlie is gone, I think what she has done to him and what she feels and how she feels um, and the way that she treated him in those last few days, that, that that's going to stick with Ellie. Right. And I think he did everything in his power to make sure that when he was gone, she didn't sit there and feel horrible about herself so he continued to pour into her you know those words and phrases of affirmation just you know pouring that confidence into her something that he early on shared that he didn't think she had yeah I think that's an astute observation I believe I I picked up the same thing that he wanted her to hear the positive things so that like you said when he's gone she can have those like those memories because you know mm-hmm. I think we we both dealt with some loss here and you remember those those moments and rather than her memories all being you know I hate you and you're you know you're this you're that you left us 
she can also have the him telling her that she's good and she's smart and et cetera and so forth. So I, I will add that I believe part of the way she was is also self-defense. Uh, it's something that I think kids develop when they've been, uh, what do they call it? Um, not fear of abandonment. There's like a term for it. I can't think of it. But like when you've been, when you feel like you've been abandoned or you have been abandoned in your life, you put up walls to try to protect yourself. So I believe part of that was her putting up walls of like, I'm not going to get connect uh, attached to you because you're going to leave me again. Um, and, you know, you could still see, and it's, I think this is part of Sadie Sink being a good actress, like her, the shiftiness in her eyes of like, I'm going to say this hurtful thing and then I'm still, and I'm going to pretend I'm turning my back to you, but I'm still like caring how you react to it. You're right. Right. And I actually, I, I never, I never not like, I knew she cared. Right. Like even in those moments where she was extremely, um, you know, harsh and, and the way she treated him and the things she expected of him. I never doubted that she cared about him. Um, I agree with you. A lot of it was, you know, the defense mechanisms. Uh, she was projecting um, a lot. I mean, there was so much there. Like, I'm sure she was, you know, dealing with the fact that, you know, they were abandoned. Um, I think that layer of like, you left us for a man. I think that adds, you know, more conflict. I think she was, you know, feeling that pain of, we were close. I was your daughter. You left me. And not only did you leave me, but you left me with my mother who could not recover from you leaving us either. And now I have to deal with this woman who doesn't know me, mm. you know, who's an alcoholic. And so there's, I feel like she had her good handful of reasons, basically. Plenty of reasons to be upset. And that's part of why I couldn't be mad at her for being the way she was. Uh, you brought up the mom. So let's talk about the mom real quick. I think it was one of those situations where, you know, when there's two parents and you're introduced to one parent first, you immediately are sympathetic to the one that you're meeting. And so we are set up to not like the mom. So then she comes into the picture and I was what we got from her, what you expected or no, because I actually understood her better after she arrived. Oh, Absolutely. There was a, a part that I really liked where she lay next to him and she kind of like leaned, um, like she leaned in um, towards like his side stomach area and she kind of just lay there and he like held her, like they held each other. That to me um, told me more, it, it, it indirectly characterized her um, as something and someone that nobody had said about her and that's that this woman really cared. She right. cared about him as a person. And I think we had discussed um, how normal it is now, you know, for a man, you know, who, you know, is a homosexual, marry a woman and have children. Like this goes back to maybe, and I'm just speculating, maybe I feel like there was something in her where she knew at some point. Mm. And um, because it seems like she cared about him as a person. Um, and so I don't know if maybe there was, that piece where in the beginning she gave him a kid because that's what he wanted because she cared about him. So, well, let's talk about it. I interpreted it a little bit differently. I interpreted it as now she says when they're arguing that, you know, you use me to get a child, basically. Um, but I interpreted it as she did not expect that. When it when it came, I think she thought that they were OK 
And then when he did leave her for a man, and she talks about like I was embarrassed, like you left me mm-hmm. with the like I have to explain to people, not that my husband left me, but my husband left me for a man, which is something I've heard people that have dealt with this, you know, say like, is there something wrong with me that you don't even like women anymore? Like, did I do that? Like, is that my fault? And so I'm sure she internalized a lot of it. And again, one of her explanations for how, why he would even be interested in her is the fact that she can bring a life into this world. And it's like, okay, so maybe that's why he did it. Maybe he didn't ever love me. Maybe he just wanted a child out of the situation. And I think he, she even says during a relationship that they had issues or he was closer to the, the, the child than her. And, you know, then he leaves her with the child and, you know, she had, doesn't have those connections and is unable to develop them, unable to explain to her daughter why her dad left like that, et cetera, so forth. Yeah. And one thing that I also realized is that she, I feel like there was a lot of blame, like there was a lot of guilt that she was displaying as far as like what type of mother that she was or the type of mom that she was being for Ellie. And I think she would see Ellie's behavior and the way that Ellie was. And she would internalize that as I'm a horrible mother because my daughter is horrible. Um, And I think, you know, a lot of uh, what Charlie was doing and, and pouring and filling Ellie's cup also I think is important for the mom to and that's why he says like you know she there's like they have an argument where they're going back and forth and she tells Charlie look at her she's terrible she's a horrible you know person and he you know he goes back and and, and responds and says no no she's not she did this she does that and I think that's also important um not for Ellie only but also for her for her not to sit there and feel like Um, I'm not an adequate mother. I did not do, even though I felt the pressure and the weight of the world to step up after you left us. But, you know, like, hey, I wasn't so terrible because even though my daughter's behaviors are what they are at the end of the day, you know, inside she's she's good. You know, there's qualities there. And I think Charlie um, still cared for his ex-wife, at least enough to to not let her walk away feeling like she did not do a good job as a mom. Okay. Do you need to go? Okay. Um, The strength of the movie, I believe, just to put a bow on that, every character has positive qualities and every character has negative qualities. And that's true, I think, for pretty much everybody in life. Um, And I think that's what makes the movie feel so full and realistic, in my opinion. We have to get to the very end and... To get to the very end, we have to talk about this essay. So in the beginning of the movie, you didn't see this scene, I guess. Beginning of the movie. <laughs> the beginning of the movie. So after we get the little introduction with him teaching his class, blah, blah, blah. Uh, he's watching gay porn and doing what you do when you watch those types of things. And suddenly there's a knock at the door. And he's flustered. Or he starts to have a heart attack, actually, but he's flustered. There's a knock at the door. All of a sudden, he tells the person to come in. The person comes in. It's the boy uh, who ends up trying to convert him. But the boy sees what's on his screen, which he slams it closed. And like he grabs this essay out of a folder and hands it to the boy and says, read it to me. And the boy is like, I don't know what this is, blah, blah, blah. He said, just read it, read it. And the boy reads it eventually. And, you know, he comes down. 
And this happens a few times throughout the movie. I think you saw it. You had to have seen this at least once at some point. Yes, yes. Um, and so my, I'm, I assumed that it was an essay either he wrote as a kid or an essay that a kid in one of his classes wrote. Didn't think much more of it, just that he connected with the idea that was presented in the essay. So mm-hmm. we get to the end and we find out that that essay was actually written by her, his daughter when she was like 12, which adds a whole nother layer to it, first of all. Besides, again, the what's what's expressed, and again, I'm not going to sit here and pretend to be a Moby Dick scholar or anything like that. I probably read the book when I was 10. That was 25 years ago. Uh, the first line he talks about, uh, I, I don't even remember the character's name off the top of my head. Is it Ishmael? Mm-hmm. Ishmael. He wakes up in the bed with the man and then he goes to the boat or whatever. Mm-hmm. Or is it Ahab? I don't, I don't know. Ishmael's the one telling the, the story. Okay. And yeah. So, I mean, if you want to take over, feel free to jump in. But Well, I'll tell you that um, that is one of the, so that essay in particular for me, um, when in the end she started reading that, Right. I think that's the part where I was the most emotional <laughs> when she started reading it um, because, um, and I mean, different people I'm sure can, you know, give their different take depending on, um, you know, what you think of Moby Dick or what you remember. But one of the things that is very common is that um, the author Herman Melville of Moby Dick died, not knowing or understanding just how popular uh, Moby Dick was or is now. Makes sense. That's one of them. Um, and the reason is because when the book came out, the story came out, people hated it. They thought it was um, like it just they didn't like the plot. There were parts of the book where it sounded like you were reading a textbook. Um, there was way too much of nothing. Makes right. sense. And so. There's a lot of critique even today on Moby Dick. And so I, um, hearing what she was saying of Moby Dick, Mm -hmm. like she wasn't wrong, you know what I mean? And what she was saying about the story. And so, so that's one part of it. Like, Hey, you, you, you can sit here and pretend like you do not care about analysis. You do not care about critically thinking about the text. You can sit here and pretend like, you know, you, you don't care about, you know, any any of this stuff. Right. Right. But you, you made a good, you made a good, you know, assessment of what people for years have been saying about Obi Dick. You did. At 12. Exactly. And so that to me, um, if I'm Charlie, I'm thinking like, this this is honest. It, it's it's a genuine response to something, and a lot of people, especially in school, they're not going to sit there and tell you that Moby Dick was a terrible story or it's a terrible novel. It's a terrible, and a lot of people believe that. Exactly. And she did, and so I think that characterizes her for something um, more than what she realizes. And like you said, at twelve. So I think Charlie's holding on to that. So that's right. the first thing. That's and I think that's a big part of the movie uh, is the show that we put on or the, the way we turn off our personal or critical analysis to give people what they expect. And I think that's kind of, again, one of the big things in the movies, there's the moment where he sends his students, uh, you know, fuck the essays, throw it all away, 
just send me something real. And like a few students submit like raw thoughts and feelings. Mm-hmm. And I believe one of them even said like, this is how I actually felt about whatever they were reading. I can't remember what it is off the top of my head. Uh, this is how I actually felt about it, but I put all that other crap in there because I know that's what you want to re- what you want or whatever, or what right, the curriculum right. wants. Um, and ag- that's that's even in that just that piece of it, that five minutes of the film that we get where that is discussed is is big for me, like because it makes sense. It makes me think back to, you know, if I could write my actual thoughts about books or movies and versus you know, having to put all this flowery language in it. That's part of why I do reviews because I hate reading critics putting all (laughs) these big words in their reviews when it's like, just say the movie sucked. I don't need you to tell me, oh, well, the da-da-da and the this-da-that. It's like, no, the the acting was bad. The story didn't make any sense. It was bad. Like, I don't need the the six-letter SAT words. Right, right. Yeah, I'm with you. And I, so that part of it, was one of the parts that I was like, oh my goodness, like she wasn't wrong. Like people feel like this about the story, like people hate it. Um, I also know that, you know, the story follows, uh, you know, the this man who goes on this voyage and trying to get revenge for, um, you know, basically what had happened to him, right? For losing his leg. Um, but what you start to see in the story as well is that, this voyage, um, this um, attempt at getting revenge uh, consumes him. It consumes him. And I think there's a, I mean, I haven't really thought about it. I'm, I'm walking through my thoughts here with you. <laughs> um, but I think that is um, representative of what we're seeing in the story in itself, right? Where um, I believe it something along the lines of like, nobody can save you. You have to save yourself. Right. And so I'm thinking of the story of Moby Dick, like you're trying to get revenge. You, everybody else is consumed by what you're trying to do, but in the end, you're the only one that can save yourself. And so. And it's a, I would add a layer to it of in the process of saving yourself, you're, you've attached all of your pain and hatred on this one thing. And you're ignoring everything else in the process. Basically. Mm -hmm. So in this case, like Moby Dick, um, like in the story, you you know, it's a well, but I think um, it's in the the movie, it's not an actual animal. I think it's, you know, um, even like a place of, of, of arrival, a place where you are physically in his case as you know because of his condition and, mm-hmm. and I also think mentally and emotionally and psychologically like you know what Moby Dick is this abstract concept you know in the movie um, and so for me that metaphor just like okay I need to sit down and watch this all over again now that I have that in mind because I did not expect that at all like I did not know that's where this was going at all um, and I know that you know they had said, and I've read somewhere that the the movie was first to play. I don't know right. if you've seen. So I'm thinking, like, I need to, I like, I want to read this. Like, this is something you know, like people could read. Um, you know, the the screenplay, and we can, hey, analyze it. There's so much. There's so so much. But I also feel like because there's so much, you know, some, for some people, it just, right. you know, and that's might not. And that's where I go to, like, when I watch a movie, I don't feel like I need to get everything the first time 
I feel like if I can attach myself to different pieces of it, then that's fine. And then maybe I'll listen to some reviews or read some reviews and somebody will pull, point something else out. And I'll be like, oh, yes, that that hit for me now, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, for example, The Menu. Uh, I've seen a lot of people recently say it's one of their favorite movies of 2022. And for me, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it on the comedic levels. The larger themes didn't land for me at all. Um, really? But it did for some people. And yeah, they landed, they landed for me. Absolutely. Right. And it's one of those things where I don't, I didn't need that to enjoy the movie. I just, mm-hmm. I enjoyed the humor and whatnot in the movie and that's enough. I can go right. back and I can listen to you and we can have that discussion. I'm like, oh yeah. Okay. I can see where this, this made sense or didn't. And I feel like the whale has so many different things that you could attach yourself to and think this is the greatest movie ever. Like no matter which one you choose, you're going to, I can't see somebody watching this movie and coming out and saying it was, it was bad. Right. Right. Or it didn't do, it didn't execute X, Y, Z. It executed on so many different levels. Right. For me. I will say that I feel people feel uncomfortable with the movie uh, because I have seen that a lot. I have seen that people don't like it because, you know, of the way it makes them I think it is. Okay. I think it is the visuals. Okay. Um, and that just kind of puts things into perspective, at least for me personally. I don't expect people to look at it or see it this way, but I'm thinking to myself, like, why does it bother, you know, people, some people, right, to to have these visuals? But when you have, so I'm thinking, but you know, there's that. You're saying this not even having seen that scene. What, the movie opens with him masturbating. Yeah, I gay porn like off the top. Like you're asking a lot of your audience, so Mm -hmm. I can I I can can definitely understand people. Besides of his physical appearance, I could see a lot of reasons why people would be uncomfortable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think that's I think some people unfortunately might stay there and might miss the other parts. But I think there's a lot. There are a lot of movies out there um, that showcase um, different types of visuals. Mm-hmm. Um, of things that you know are not any more better or wholesome, and we're more like desensitized to those types of behaviors exactly. versus watching a depressed, morbidly obese man in a wheelchair, you know, choking on his sub. Like, you know, <laughs> that's. <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah. No, you're 100 percent correct. Um, to again tie that up. I listen to or I talk to different people from around the world. And like in Europe, for example, they're very different about sex and sexuality than we are here in America. Like they're way more comfortable with those images on screen and on TV and dealing with their feelings of when they see them, et cetera, and so forth than we are in America. Like I, as in a grown man, get uncomfortable watching a intimate scene around my people period like right, I, don't, right. I don't want to be made uncomfortable in that way but it's 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 more normalized i would say in other parts of the world and where you know culturally we have different taboos and again that's one of those things where if you're not around people that look a certain way you're not around people that act a certain way and it's thrust on you in this way you're some people are like you immediately out of it like they can't come back and mm-hmm. I, I can see where that movie, for that particular reason, I could understand people not being comfortable with the film. And it would it's unfortunate because you missed out on a great story, in my opinion. Right. And I feel like that happened to me, not with um, The Well, because um, 
there were aspects of the, the movie that, um, you know, I connected with, um, especially like the father daughter relationship and, right. you know, his position as an educator, but like in thinking about like movies that present uh, certain topics or even just thematic concepts that for me are uncomfortable um, and, and they tie the visuals, you know, pretty well. I'm thinking of that movie uh, Zola. Ooh, okay. Yep. I so just... that for me was uncomfortable like that. There were a lot of scenes in that film that I was just like, who? Okay. And I appreciated that the, the mood around everything that was being shown wasn't, it felt more comical. Um, but I was uncomfortable. I, oh, I was, I, and I saw it with friends and I remember like wanting to like, like, Oh, I think I might go get some popcorn at this time. <laughs> like, you know, and, and it's not like, Oh, it was a little piece. It was just like continuous visuals. Let of me ask like, you, okay. did you invite the friends out to this movie? Like, Oh, you should go uh, to this movie with me. Yeah, yes. Like. <laughs> yes. one of my friends brought her daughter. She's like oh, no. five years old. Oh, no. I know. And <laughs> I was like, it's cool. I think we were in Dallas and I was like, they have this really nice theater, like the seats, you know, recline. It's like a sofa thing. And um, she, okay, let's do it. Well, thank goodness that, that, that her daughter fell asleep. And oh, I even goodness. knowing that she was asleep between us, like I kept on glancing over in certain parts of the movie. Cause I was like, like this is not, but you know what? In thinking about that, it was like a I think a minute montage of full frontal male nudity. Like, yes, yes. maybe it wasn't 10 minutes, but it felt like 10 minutes. <laughs> it felt like a long time. <laughs> yes. Yes. So, I mean, we just got to ask ourselves, why do certain things make us uncomfortable? And what does that actually reveal, mm-hmm. um, you know, about us as, as individual people about society, um, about what we find to be entertaining, what we accept, what we don't and why? You know, so that was kind of, uh, I liked that I was challenged in that regard. And I feel like um, that's what the movie did. It kind of put me there. Like, for example, there's one part that really, oh man, it just, I felt really bad. I did. I mean, I felt bad through the whole movie, I felt. (laughs) But this part, the part where um, the pizza guy, Dan, I know, like that, like, yeah. Uh, go was, go I was go. so were you, were you hopeful up to that point like I thought he was gonna make a friend I was I was and, so and then you. his reaction like he I don't remember what he said I think either he said something like gross or disgusting it, or he made like a he, gesture so he stood to, to like see if he could see him and then when he saw him I guess he wasn't what he expected and this is this is a microcosm of, you know, just the era that we're in. Like I meet a lot of people online and like when they're not exactly what you pictured when you meet them, it throws you off. And I think in that moment, he might not even have been actually disgusted necessarily, but he was caught off guard. He was embarrassed that he stood there and wait to see him. And like the whole con- like his reaction was to like take off. Um. I don't think he ordered from there again after that. I don't think we he came back. But like you could tell Dan thought he, he was gonna try to make a friend. And I guess he again, like maybe he reacts the same way if uh Charlie doesn't look the way he does because he's just embarrassed of himself. But the combination of Charlie being like, Oh God, you see me, and the awkwardness of the situation he took off. Mm-hmm. And I could, and when I saw his face, like his his facial uh, gesture, just 
man, I felt really bad. I really did. I was like, things can't go worse for Charlie right now. Like, it, it just can't. The beauty of Charlie is that he had thick skin and he was a, he was aware of his condition and appearance. Um, like, I think his daughter, he makes the joke with his daughter, like, what are you going to stab me? I think I got like two feet of flesh before you're going to hit any organs or something like that. <laughs> like, um, we could close. I think we've talked long enough about this movie. Probably could talk longer. My rule is the review can't be longer than the movie. So hopefully I've accomplished that. Uh oh, <laughs> that's I'll- a good rule. Cause I was going to say like, I have more things that, I, that I'd like I, to say, I, but I think that's a good one. I have seen people do like four hour reviews for two hour movies. Like there's two ladies, Joanna and Mal, they do like Marvel reviews and stuff and they'll go deep into like the comic book history and stuff like that. And I'll be like, I can't listen to them sometimes. They they'll spoil stuff that's coming. And I'll be like, ah, I didn't want to know that. Um, But they always, they joke about it themselves. They're like, yeah, we always record longer than the movie. So blah. Well, Uh, there's something for everyone. Yeah, I want to thank you for coming on. I'm hoping this isn't the last time. Thank uh, you. I had, I had thank a lot you. of fun during this conversation. Yes, thank you for having me. And uh, yes, absolutely. I think there's like that other movie that's coming out. What is it like? Well, speaking of the fact that I love the horror genre, I think that, what is it, Megan? Megan's coming out this weekend. Yeah, there you go. So, hey, it's my genre. Just let me know. know. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, we, we might have to do that. Uh, But until next time, folks, thank you for joining us. Uh, Peace.